so much pain and suffering in this world. Think about all the wars and the diseases out there and and the child trafficking and natural disasters. A 5th century B.C. Greek philosopher posed this question. If God is all loving and all powerful, then why doesn't he stop evil? That's a very good question. And, and philosophers have wrestled with that for centuries. And, and I'll bet at one time or another, you've thought about that and you've wondered that yourself. Now, we're not going to solve the problem this morning. I wish I could say that. But I want to share with you my thoughts on the subject as I've mulled this over over the years. I want to give you three reasons for me why I think that there's evil in the world and what can be done about it. Continuing on our series on developing a Christian worldview. The first thing is God's will. He allows it. Now, the Bible says God is good. Don't ever doubt that truth for a minute. But don't also equate God with bad circumstances as if they're one and the same. Or you are going to be deeply disappointed in this life. We have a tendency to think, well, these bad things shouldn't have happened to me. God is good in character and actions while the world is evil. And God made a world in which evil exists and he allows it to continue. The Bible says moral evil God doesn't do. James 1.13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But natural disasters and the like God allows. So how can both be true? That God is good and the world he created is bad. There is no love without choice. Free will is an important component here. God could have made a world in which it was impossible for sin. But that would have been a world where he would not have been freely loved and served and obeyed. So God in his infinite wisdom thought it was worth creating a world in which people would love him for him but would also allow the possibility for evil to exist. And yet, through all that, God remains sovereign. So how do we reconcile those two? It is tough. If human beings have free will, doesn't that mean they're somehow in control? God is able to give free will to humans and yet remain in control. How can he do that? Well, he's God. Now, that maybe sounds like a cop-out, but I don't think it is. Over the years, I've learned that I've got to hold two truths kind of in perfect balance and symmetry. If I lean too far towards free will, one can fall into the errors of humanism, deism, and extreme Arminianism. Yet, if I learn lean too far the other way into sovereignty, I can become fatalistic, deterministic, espouse Islam, or extreme Calvinism. Let me give you this illustration. I'm going to go on a cruise. So I get on the boat in Miami and the cruise's destination is Jamaica. Now, I have all kinds of choices that I can do on that boat. I could sleep in all day. I can eat all day or not eat all day. I can do 
I can go swimming. I can play all kinds of board games, watch movies. There's just an unlimited amount of activities that I can do on that ship. What I can't do on that ship is go to Alaska. I'm going to Jamaica. So God is sovereign. He's in control. His ultimate purposes will be fulfilled in the earth. Yet he's given free will and human beings can choose badly. The fact that God allows suffering, though, doesn't mean that he enjoys its effects on us. Jesus said, as a matter of fact, in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus wanted heaven to come down to earth and earth to be like heaven. But we all know at this moment it isn't like that. So Jesus said, pray that it would be. So we pray. From the Bible, we see certain things about God and evil. Letter A, God directly causes some suffering. Isaiah 45, 7 says, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. The Bible says that God sends judgment. And he disciplines his children. Letter B. God has compassion for all. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. See, we go through hard times. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. So we go through hard times in life so we can draw on God and call out to him. And he comes and he ministers to us. So then when we see other people going through similar things, we come alongside them and we know and we understand and we can pour out God's love on us. God is thus able to use us in a greater capacity than he would have been able to had we not gotten through that hard time. Let us see. God cares for us in our suffering. First Peter 5, 7. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Please remember that. When you're going through a hard time and you feel like you're all alone and you're suffering. And where is God? He's there and he's caring for you. You absolutely can trust the one who loved you enough to send his own son to die on the cross for you. And letter D. One day he'll put a stop to all evil. It says in Revelation 21, 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. See, we can rejoice in that. God is going to someday make all things right and end all evil. A second reason why there's evil in the world is Satan's influence. 
He inflicts it. He's the master of disaster, the king of sting. He is an evil being that opposes God and everything that is good. He takes what a good God has made and ruins it and perverts it. Let me give just a brief bio on Satan, our enemy. He was created a supernatural being in heaven, perhaps the highest ranking angel. A lot of theologians think he may have been the worship leader in heaven based on passages like Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. And he seems to be the prosecuting attorney in the book of Job among the divine council members. And as he had access to God's throne to accuse Job, so the Bible says he has access to accuse us. Revelation 12:10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven say, "Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God." The Bible says that Satan wasn't created evil, but that evil or sin was found in him. He had no tempter like we do. Yet because of pride, he fell and led to his downfall. He's been given by God limited access to harm the earth and humans and ultimately will end up in hell for all eternity. It says in Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, let's look at some of his actions. Letter A, tempting. He knows human weaknesses from thousands of years of observing us. And so he knows your weaknesses and therefore can trick you into sinning. James 1, 13 and 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured by the devil and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Blinding is another action of the devil. Blinding. He blinds people so they can't understand truth. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to the gospel when we hear it proclaimed and preached so we can see the truth, truth of Jesus. Otherwise, we can't see it. I just know how many years I was in blindness. It's like my eyes were covered. But then when I was saved, it was like the blinders came off. Binding is another action of the evil one. Binding. He causes some, and I emphasize the word some, sickness and mental illness. Luke thirteen sixteen, And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? 
I mean, this woman had a physical condition. If she had gone to her doctor, he would have diagnosed her with such and such. Yet the scripture clearly says it was Satan that was binding her here. Whether or not that sickness or mental illness is directly caused by the enemy, I believe that he takes advantage of that person in their weakened state. D is scheming. Scheming. He has evil plans and a diabolical intelligence. 2 Corinthians 2.11 So that we would not be outwitted by Satan. He can outwit us. For we are not ignorant of his designs. We can be ignorant of his designs if we aren't watchful. He deceives evil men to carry out his wicked schemes. And and oftentimes it's people in positions of influence and authority and power that he especially has access to for the purpose of controlling and oppressing other people. The things that I keep my mind and my eye on are who controls the money in this world? The Bank of International Settlements the International Monetary Fund, central banks of various nations of the world. They control the money. The think tanks are extremely influential, like the Council on Foreign Relations and the World Economic Forum. If you want to do some research on something, look that one up. They influence the politicians of this world and organizations like the UN. It's really all about control, folks. And then the media and the universities the enemy uses to influence people for wrong, for evil, and ultimately leading to a one world government. The E there in your notes is hindering. He tries to mess up God's plan of using the church for the salvation of the world. First Thessalonians 2.18 Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. How has he hindered you from doing something good that you were supposed to do? He's described and given many titles in Scripture. Here are just a few. He's called the father of lies, the prince of this world, in which Adam turned it over legally to him. He's the ruler of the air, his main sphere of activity. He's called an angel of light, the evil one, the tempter, the accuser. Now let's look at a third thing that I believe is a reason for there being evil in the world. Man's choice. We do it. It started with Adam and Eve, the first human beings. They willingly chose to disobey and rebel against God. And we do, too. We go right along with them in our choices. The Bible says as a result of that, the wages of sin is death. God will hold every human being accountable for their sins. We won't be able to get away with, oh, the devil made me do it. When Adam and Eve sinned, they died spiritually, then physically. And they passed on to us the ability to sin. It's part of our makeup. We're born in sin. David said in Psalm 51, 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. God wants human beings to acknowledge the evil that is in them. In Romans 3, 9 to 12. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. 
For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Yet, if you ask every human on this earth, they would say, yeah, I'm a good person. I'm good. Now, I know I've shared this before, but this is such a powerful example of this to me. The famous Stanley Milgram experiments that took place at Yale University in the 1960s, where Milgram took people off the street to participate in his experiment. And the experiment is, would you shock strangers? Here was a doctor in his white outfit, his white coat, an authority figure person telling you to shock someone. And the people who were strapped in the electric chairs, or what looked like electric chairs, were actors paid by Milgram for this experiment. So they weren't being pained and hurt at all, though it looked like they were because they were pretty good actors. Ninety percent of the participants in the experiment brought in off the street said at the beginning, I would never shock anyone. One hundred percent of them did. Eighty percent to intense levels of pain on the dials and 65 percent to fatal levels. To me, that helps explain Nazi Germany, how a group of people, good Germans who, who were brought up with Beethoven and Bach and Luther would exterminate six million Jews. So, again, I think we come back to the question, so why doesn't God stop Satan and evil? Well, he already has to some degree. Look at Colossians 2.15. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to an open shame by triumphing over them in him. There is so much more that happened on the cross than we can fully comprehend. A great mystery there. Before the cross, it seems like when a, a godly person died, that Satan held them captive in the underworld. But Jesus said his resurrection set them free. And since the resurrection, believers in Christ who died go directly to be with him. Think about this. If God had destroyed all evil, then he would have had to destroy us too because we've all done evil. But God is patient. God is kind. God waits to judge. Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. He's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We say, God, judge that person. Destroy those evildoers. But he gives time and mercy so they, too, might repent because he loves them. And he, he doesn't want to display his great wrath. An example is Nineveh in Jonah, chapter three, verses nine and ten, where I think this is the uh, king of Nineveh who says, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish when God saw what they did. How they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Also, God is with us in our suffering. Second Corinthians 5.21 
for our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God doesn't just sit passively by while you suffer. He became one of us and experienced all that we experience, all the temptation, the physical pain, and even death for us. Remember this story out of Nazi Germany, where the the Nazis had hung a young Jewish boy, and the crowd stood around him, one in anguish, cried out, Where is God in all this? And someone else in the crowd shouted out, Hanging there. So we don't blame God when a loved one dies. The Bible says God takes some early that they may avoid a life of evil. Isaiah 57, 1. The righteous man perishes and no one lays it to heart. Devout men are taken away while no one understands. For the righteous man is taken away from calamity. And the Bible says God will ultimately destroy Satan and evil once and for all. Revelation 21, 4 and 8. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things that passed away. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And now let's get practical. How can I overcome Satan and evil in my life? The first thing, be alert. Be watchful and prayerful. Do you not realize that you live every day behind enemy lines? First Peter 5, 8. Be so 